0: Hello. You are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Ah, thanks, guys. (laughs) Uh. All right, how's it going? Good. Awesome. Well, um, it's been cool seeing all these little, like, different kinds of revivals pop up all over the place. It's like Lauren was talking about. Yeah, have you guys, how many, and don't be ashamed if you, if you uh, for, for any responses, but how many of you have either been to or driven to one of these kinds of things, either at Asbury or other places like that? Raise your hand up high in the air. Awesome. How many of you have been watching it on some kind of stream or other things on the stream at all? Awesome. Cool. Very convenient. Revival delivered to your door. Um, <laughs> Awesome. You know, it's funny. I uh, this is a little bit of a vulnerable statement, so don't judge me too quickly. Wait till the end. Um, I I've been offended about every single move of God that I've ever run into in my entire life, <laughs> honestly. And I'm not just saying that to be cute. I'm genuinely bothered by it initially. It's it's part of my personality. I I'm a little bit of a skeptical person by by nature. That doesn't always show up in the nature of what I you know share on stage. But I. I even from a very young age, I just always said like, ah, that, that's people just doing a thing, you know. That was kind of my lens or, or attitude. And, uh, I, I, however, I often find myself repenting and corrected as I see that yes, it is perhaps to some extent people doing a thing, but also God is there. <laughs> um, and that's that's a tricky kind of resolution to have sometimes. But i with with all this uh, going on right now. I wanted to just spend a little bit of time just uh talking about God's presence. You know, what, what do we mean by God's presence? What's the significance of it? What is what does that look like? What is that is that just a warm feeling during worship? Is that something that that makes you shake? Is that something that makes you fall down? Is that something that heals you? What you know what is this how does this work and i i certainly can't encapsulate the full picture of what god's presence is because honestly the entirety of scripture in many ways is a beautiful portrait that is painted of of what that is but um i wanted to take a minute to to just kind of look at it and understand so if you would real quick if you have a bible with you or or a digital bible handy uh just flip to the uh the book of exodus if you would for a quick second it's near the beginning if you uh, are not too familiar, just gonna give you a little cheat sheet there. Um, Exodus 32. There are lots of chapters in Exodus, and this is one of them. Um, so, Exodus 32. Um, now. Uh, How many of you, just out of curiosity, grew up in church to some extent or another? I know I'm making you raise your hands a lot, I apologize for that, awesome. So a lot of us, our Exodus learning probably uh, started when we were young in church and we'd hear the story of the the Israelites and then the plagues and getting out of Egypt and then wandering in the desert and this is kind of early in that, not quite wandering yet, still just uh, on the initial journey of the desert and they come up to, to Mount Sinai. And it's kind of kind of wild because, you know, God made this, this covenant with this Abraham guy a long time ago, but it wasn't, other than just the statements that were made between God and Abraham, it maybe wasn't formalized, there wasn't a lot of structure, there was this kind of relationship pieces, you know, all, all throughout with all of Abraham's descendants, but... This, this moment of coming to Mount Sinai, of this this thunderstorm coming around this mountain as the people, you know, they've, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've journeyed into the desert, they're following the presence of God, it leads them to this mountain, and Moses walks up on this mountain to commune with God. Now this goes by for, for an amount of time and one of the things that happens again i'm sure you guys are familiar with the story is that the israelites get a little 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 weirded out it's like if moses has been up there a long time what happened did god eat him i don't know does does, does he do that we, we don't know yet you know um you know they're like oh, he's never coming back you know and so what do they do they say hey Aaron you're number 2 you know uh let's make a golden calf let's make an idol give me all. he's like okay fine we'll do that um, And he, you know, puts it together. Moses, I'm I'm doing a short version of the story because there's a lot of details in here. It's worth uh, reading all the way through. But uh, God says, hey Moses, you need to get back down there. They're doing something a little silly. He he has harsher words than that, actually. He says, I need to blow them up. Um, uh, And Moses is like, no, I'm sure you don't want to do that. Uh, You know, you'd have to make a whole new people. And what what would the other people be saying if you blew up your people? I mean, come on, you know. this is not. This, I'm being funny, but it's not far off from how the conversation goes. So, he's like, "Fine, go down there. I will just punish the people who made the calf." You know. So he goes down there, and you know, gets understandably upset. He's like, "Hey, I, I just, you know, uh, don't make idols." Was like right in the list there on the first ten things that I told you to do, and you immediately did that as soon as I was gone. You know, it's kind of like when you leave your kids alone and they like immediately got into candy. I was like, "Ah." Oh. I didn't expect you to do it immediately. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Maybe as temptation took over, you know. And so, you know, he, uh, (laughs) this is just a side note that's kind of funny. He's like, Moses uh, had, you know, burned the golden calf, ground it up, put it in water, and made everybody drink it. It's like, whoa. It's like a straight up, like, oh, you want to smoke cigarettes? You have to smoke the entire pack of cigarettes kind of situation. It's like, (laughs) you want an idol, huh? We're going to do that. I'll show you. Well, <laughs> so um, so one of the, you know, as, as I got older and I heard this story and I heard that, you know, there's, of course, numerous stories around this and the subject of idols, it comes up quite a lot in Israel's history. You know, they keep on building these idols that Jen was talking about and having to tear them down and they keep building them back up again. It's like, gosh, how hard is it to not build an idol? You know, what's going on? Like, oh, I'm building my house and this, you know, just, oh, shoot, it looks like a cow. Now I have to worship it. You know, it's, how does this... How does this happen? And, you know, sometimes because of the cultural distance, we can uh, maybe be somewhat disconnected from some of these stories. And it's like, gosh, why did you make the calf right away when, he's, when they're gone? Like, what, what, what the heck's going on? Well, uh, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but just as a quick uh, aside, um, you know, culturally at that time, the the Israelites were highly unusual for not having idols that they worshiped. It was the cultural norm, ooh, I just spat a little bit, sorry. Um, it was the cultural norm to have idols of your gods. This was kind of the, the view at the time was like, hey, there's many gods, and kind of pick which one you wanna side with. Now, you're gonna side with the fertility god, you're gonna side with the, the, uh, the, the bounty god, you're gonna side with the god of fishing, you know. Who's your, pick your god, which is the one you want to go through, and almost the view at the time is like there's all these gods that are over different nations, and some of them are kind of partnered with nations, some of them are partnered with ideas and ideals, you know, and kind of pick which one you think's going to be the best for you, and uh, this is, again, I don't have time to get into all this, but that's one of the reasons that the the book of Genesis, uh, Exodus, and Leviticus are so uh, radical for the time that they were presented in, is basically you've God saying, hey, no, no, I am way above any other God. I am the only, I am the one and only, and I am far superior, there's no measurement to how much I am above these other gods. Don't even bother. Um, And so, again, it's important to be, you know, it's easy to maybe look at how Israel kept going back to idols and be um, judgmental of like, how could you do something that's so obviously, you know, against what God said? We got to understand they were in, in a a period in history where there was tremendous cultural pressure to have idols because allowing you know if this family married this family yeah, this family worships this god, but this one worships this god, well, okay, we can kind of serve both gods that 's fine, hopefully they won 't mind too much and we 'll just do both idols in our house and know this will be our compromise. And this was part of how you interacted, how you uh, you know, had relationship with other, other cultures around you. It's also, beyond that, it's one of the things that made you culturally distinct. It's like, well, I serve this God, I serve this God. Israelites, who do you serve? Oh, the God who's above all. Okay, what does he look like? Okay, a cow, we're gonna go with a cow. Uh, let's make the cow, you know. It was it would almost be like embarrassing that we don't have this tangible thing to put on like here is what our God looks like you know it would it would feel strange culturally it would be it would be ab- abnormal in that environment and um, you know it's funny I, I don't want to go down this road for too long but you know when we talk about idols and we talk about idols in a mo- modern context we sometimes use things I don't think are I don't think it's incorrect you know Stuff like, uh, is, is music your idol, is money your idol? You know, is, is, is this your idol, is that your idol? And yes, uh, part of what an idol is, is maybe giving more attention or focus or value and being led by something other than God. But, but deeper than uh, that, or within the, those layers, an idol is any image or structure that we depend on as God. Does that make sense? God specifically did not want an image made of Himself. We don't have a lot of time to go into this, but you ever wonder why? Like, because He's too awesome, because He's too powerful, because you can't contain Him in an image. Maybe. Uh, I think it's because He already did make an image of Himself. And one of the most distinct things, if you compare the the belief of the Israelites to the rest of the tribes at the time was this idea of like, no, no, no. I am the image of God. I was made in the image of God. I have been, not, I'm not just serving this God as, as like an arbitrary ruler who's around who I decided to follow. This is someone who chose me as his people and took him into his family. That was a radical, strange idea at the time. And I think one of the reasons, because it's funny, there were symbols. There was the Ark of the Covenant there. you know, there, there was symbols and structures and things that maybe I would think of as idols. But specifically, the thing that God was upset with is, and again, if we get in get into this here, that they tried to make an image of him, again, when he had already done that, by creating mankind in his own image. And so, it's an important thing to remember. Um, and so, this understanding of, from the beginning that God was happy to create a place where his presence was, the tabernacle rested on the Ark of the Covenant, but was not willing to allow an image to be created of him that we would worship. Because again, unlike any other God represented at that time, he actually wanted to be present among his people. He wanted to be there with them. He wanted to be present. So again, that word presence. I think sometimes we can use it so much that it starts to kind of rub off some of its some of its meaning, where we think of presence as I feel good during worship, or I, uh, you know, I uh, the presence of God showed up and I got healed of this, or I got a revelation, or I got an idea. It is simply, purely, and only God being with you. That is it. That is it. And you know, because of that, I've always I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong to do this, but I want to be careful of how it shapes the way that we think. When we talk about God's presence showing up more or or arriving more, things like that, I think it can be a bit of a misnomer because God is present. He has made himself present, he has decided to be present with us. I think the nature of his presence that the way he's present can can shift and change in the same way that I can be present with my children and in one moment be silly and laughing and tickling and wrestling and then someone could bump their head and I can quickly shift from being present as a comforter as a as a uh, you know, healer, if you want to call it that, but but present to bring comfort to bring safety to bring security. My presence was there the same, but the the nature of my presence shifted in that moment does that does that make sense and again, just kind of just continue to expand that same idea like you can be sitting with a friend, you can be present with a friend, and you can be again laughing, joking, talking about mild things, and all of a sudden shift gears into asking being vulnerable and asking for a deep need to be met by that friend, you know. And you're present in both circumstances, but the nature of that presence is different. Make sense? Um, and so, this, this again, this picture here is just as, as there's this negotiation of how is God relating to us? How are we relating to God? And Moses is getting this information about, okay, here, here is a structure to follow in having a relationship with me. Um, If you want to, you can just kind of either write this down or thumb over this real quick, but um, if you jump all the way ahead to 1 Kings 8. Um, So there's a lot that happens between uh, Mount Sinai and 1 Kings 8 when the temple is completed. Um, We don't have time to go into all of that, but you know, the Israelites had, built, had been instructed to build this, te- this tabernacle, this place where God's presence dwelt, where his presence rested, where they could come and do dealings with him, where they could come and, and repent and give sacrifice and, and kind of have the, the, the uh, interplay of their relationship play out together. And it's funny because the, the temple, as, as many of you know, was not actually God's idea, It was David's idea. David said, hey, I wanna build a place for you. I want it to be beautiful, I want it to be amazing, I want it to be something that's worthy of you, I wanna build this amazing place. And God essentially said, good idea, David, go for it. But, you know, you've been killing a lot, and uh, so, good idea, I'm gonna go with that, but I'm gonna have your son build it, you know. Again, that's the abbreviated version. but so solomon is you know the the most wealthy king of israel the most wise king of israel and he he pours out tremendous resource to build this this temple unto, unto god and it's Beautiful, immaculate. I'm sure you all have probably heard teachings where they talk about the the dollars per square inch. If you tried to calculate it today, those are rough estimations, but it, it's you know millions and millions and millions, perhaps even billions of dollars for a room that was uh, probably about the size of our lobby. Like just a hey, think about that much money going into one room. How immaculate and amazing that would be. Um, so it was a great room. It was nice. It's a perfect room. And so the but then what happens as they finish it here in uh, chapter chapter eight, uh, kind of verse 6, seven and eight, they bring the Ark of the Covenant in, which is the symbol of God's presence. And so they've built this beautiful temple, they built this beautiful place, they take this ark that was built you know time time and time ago, and they set it down. and chapter 8 verse 10 says, "When the priests withdrew from the holy place. This is after placing the Ark of the Covenant there. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. It goes on to say, and Solomon does this really long, beautiful prayer. And uh, again, it, it, right here in verse 15, he says, "You know, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my father, David. Since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have chosen a city, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there, but I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. Again, this picture of God choosing people, not just, again, not wanting just an image, not just wanting this. He wants to choose people. wants to show up and be present among his people. Does that make sense? And again, when they have this moment of setting the, the, um, Ark of the Covenant in there, the presence of God showed up so thickly that the priests could not even perform their duties. They couldn't do their job because the presence was so, so thick, so tangible. I want to flip ahead one more space and we're just going to kind of walk forward from here. So flip all the way forward to Matthew uh, chapter 27. So even more happened between uh, this last spot that we stopped and and now the... Uh, tribe of Israel went through a lot and Jesus showed up on the earth lived for 30 years and then ministered for 3 years and this is fast forwarding all the way to to the death and crucifixion of Jesus and so it's Matthew chapter 27 and we're gonna let me see we'll go with verse let's go with verse 51 so again this is a very moment that Jesus died he cries out in a loud voice he gave up his spirit and verse 50 verse 51 says at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the earth shook the rocks split and the tombs broke open the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life they came out of the tombs after Jesus resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people it's a wild part of the story so I just I just want to we're just doing a quick flyover here but I want you to track with me for a second. Um So God's presence shows up on this mountain and he has dealings with here's how I want to here's how I want to relate to you. The People of Israel want to build this image of God because they, and they even you know, if you go back through the story, they say, hey, this is the God that delivered us from Egypt. They were giving him the glory. They were, did a festival to the Lord. This wasn't like, let's create another God. It was, we are trying to worship our God. So they're, at least in my view, their intent was probably fine. Their, their intent, I would have judged as, they're trying to do something good. But God has a very strong, hugely strong, one of the strongest reactions to to this because it so undermines his intent for his relationship with his people. Again, that he wants to be present with his people, that he wants his people to be the bearer of his image. We step forward again to the the completion of the temple, this beautiful holy place, they set the Ark of the Covenant in there, they set it in the most holy place, this very place where this veil was torn some years after. They set up this veil, as I understand, this this curtain was inches thick, there was this thick veil between the most holy place, that's where, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where it was said to be that, um, that God's presence resided, a place so holy that if you walked in there, it was believed that you would just drop dead. Now, it's funny, we can get freaked out about that sometimes, like when David uh, gets the Ark of the Covenant back and someone, you know, the Ark of the Covenant tips and the guy touches it to try to steady it. You guys remember that story? Drops down dead. You're like, oh, that seems kind of harsh. That seems kind of, you know, mean. I don't know. Um, C.S. Lewis said it really well. I don't remember the exact quote, but he said, sometimes we think of people, you know, This story as like, well, God is mean or harsh, when rather I think the picture is that not of like a big, powerful person striking you down, but a big, powerful waterfall that has so much weight and power behind it that it could just suck you right off the edge. Does that make sense? I think that uh, you know, when I was, um, some years ago, I went to visit Niagara Falls. And if you're on the Canada side, um, there's a spot that you can stand right kinda at the uh, at the tipping point where the water goes off the edge. And it's, it, you know, you're several feet away and there's lots of concrete and stuff between you and the water. But it's it's, honestly, I stood there feeling scared Because you can just see, you can see the power, the weight, the, 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 just the immensity of the water going over the edge. And, you know, you realize like, oh, if I did fall in there, there, there would be absolutely nothing that would keep me from just, you know, blowing down like a leaf, you know, over this waterfall. Maybe if I had a barrel to hide in, that'd be safer. Um, (laughs) someone thought when doing that very thing that I did, Um, um. and so again, this power of God is not just, oh, He's angry and He's going to kill you. No, he, His power is like that of the waterfall, like that of a thunderstorm, like like that of, of nature itself. Like a, like when you see, you know, in a, um, any of these just big geol. Uh, when Mount St. Helens, you know, blew up, it's like we were incapable of creating that level of energy released in one space all at once. It's a picture of just how. Uh, how magnificent his his power is, and it completes the picture even more when years later his, he sends his son as the Messiah to die for his people, and in the moment of his death, that veil, that separation between that most holy place, that place that is so holy that it is dangerous so holy that the priests who had to uh, operate and work in there, generally, as I understand it, only went in there once a year and, in fact, wore bells on the end of their uh, their hems so that they could hear if they were still moving around in there. Um, in fact, as I understand it, someone, uh, some genius uh, tied a rope around those priests' angles so that if they did just die for whatever reason, they could drag him out, which is very smart because you can you know, start a pile if you just keep trying to go in there and grab the guy. It's... Uh, it's very practical. <laughs> it's grim humor. I'm sorry. But um, practical. <laughs> in that place that is so, uh, so powerful that it is dangerous to go in there, at the very moment of Jesus' death, the veil's ripped open to me, an absolutely clear picture of the statement that God is making, that I am restoring my people to my original design for my relationship with them, that I would be present in and among them. This is one of the reasons it's so important that God said not to build up an idol, an image of who he is, because because he did not want his presence to rest within an idol. But he did want it to rest within the image of him. Does that make sense? I wanted to talk about this because the, the presence, I don't think that we get to run into God's presence or that that veil ripped open because God lowered the standard of his glory. I think that through his son Jesus, he elevated us back to a place where we are compatible with his glory. With that level of his presence, where through, through the adoption, through, through this, this, this uh, uh, incredible process, he, he elevated us to the place where we can now reside in that place of presence. Now we, as people who are born in this time, have a challenge to make. We have the challenge of a wealthy son or a wealthy daughter, because we have inherited free access to the presence of God, we have inherited, I can walk boldly into his presence. I don't need to do weeks and weeks of ritual, of cleansing, of preparation to step into his presence. I can just walk in. Now that's a beautiful thing. However, it is an opportunity to take it for granted. It is an opportunity to become judgmental about it, to become pretentious about it, to to even have preferences. You know, I, this is a, a, a hard thing, but I, um, you know, I've, I've visited, uh, I, I was a missionary kid when I was growing up and we were in, um, in uh, we lived in Russia in downtown Moscow. Um, and I remember the, uh, this one memory that just sticks out so much for me. I had this friend who we'd visit with all the time and we were in these you know, big, very sketchy, high-rise apartment buildings. And um, I'd had this friend that I would visit and one day uh, she got out these crayons. I was you know, six, seven years old and we were coloring with the crayons together. And you know, I grew up with the the big old Crayola, you know, box of crayons that opens up, and there's you know, seventy-eight different crayons in there. I don't know the exact number, but there's lots of crayons, you know, and you just go through them. And eventually, at my grandma's house, you have the the big tub of half-used crayons, you know, it's just that big, and there's they all kind of became the same color somehow. I don't know how that happened, but you know, doing that, you know. And so, I'm with these. She opens this little box of crayons, kind of kind of like a McDonald's or something like that, you know. And we start coloring with these crayons, and I get down to the bottom, or the paper. You know, What do you do when you get down to the paper? You, you unwrap the paper, right? That's what you do. you know. And so I rip the paper, and I keep coloring, and I, as I am doing this, I notice that the girls stopped coloring. And she's staring at me, and I'm like, I have done something wrong. <laughs> I don't know what. I still get this feeling with my wife sometimes. It's, <laughs> I, I have done something wrong, but I do not know what, but I know that it's my fault. <laughs> and that was the exact feeling. And she, all of a sudden I see that she's crying, and I'm like, uh, uh, uh. And so she walks out, goes to her mom, and then the moms have whatever negotiation they have. And I come back and I find out that those crayons were a birthday present for her, and I come from a country where they give you crayons uh, when you go to the restaurant to keep you busy, you know, for, for a minute. And in post-communist uh, Russia that was still figuring a lot of structure things out at that point, uh, this was a hard thing to get a hold of, and so it was very special to her. And so me treating this thing that was so precious to her so, so callously had hurt her feelings. And that that stuck in my brain so vividly just because I realized like, oh man, I, I need to remember how easy it is for something that is available in plenty to lose its value. <laughs> and I know we don't feel like rich kids, most of us, <laughs> you know. I don't feel like a rich kid when, I, when I'm paying my bills. I don't feel like a rich kid when I, when I go to the grocery store and everything's more expensive and all that stuff. But there's lots of ways that we are. You know, We don't need to get into that now. But when it comes to the presence, we have stepped into a generation. We've stepped into a legacy. Even stepping into this church, you're stepping into a history of people who plowed ground for you. Who, who who specifically plowed ground with you in mind of creating pathways in worship and prophetic ministry and in, in pursuing healing and all these things and it can be easy to take these things for granted it can be easy to be offended that this isn't the same way that you learned in your culture to pursue God's presence and while you know undoubtedly there are outpourings of God and and movements where I've seen people's character uh, cause tremendous problems and, and be, be harmful to an environment, to individuals, and, and more. At the same time, one of the shocking things is often, in the places that I interact with, I still found God's presence to be there. And I think sometimes it is a modern idol that we think God's presence is there because the structure is just right, because the people are just right, because that's the man of God or the woman of God. And I, I, I get in that mindset too. But man, we must be misreading the book that we're all reading because it's not the story of any of those people in there. It is not the story of they were the right person with the right character every time. It's usually the story of they were the least likely, and sometimes the person with some of the least character. You know, I. You know the. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a story that's prevalent all throughout, and so now it, there's a tension here because, of course, in in I think there are sometimes movements or, or, or things, the way that people are responding to movement can be mistaken, can be harmful, can be misguided, can be all those things. But at the same time, I want to humble my heart and recognize that God has decided, he has decided from the beginning to be present amongst imperfect people. And not only that, but make those people the bearer of his image on the earth. Honestly, probably not what I would have done. <laughs> but it is what he decided to do, you know? And I need to be responsive to that. And I'm not. what I'm not saying here is like, Oh, that means you got to say every revival's awesome, or that it means you got to go to go to Hasbury and do this. No, no, I. I what I say is, I, I always want to position my heart to honor and acknowledge what God's doing, and that word honor is one that can be very misused very quickly, but it's um. But it's not something we're doing towards people necessarily. We we do honor people, but that's a separate thing. Is something we do towards the reality that God has decided to make himself present. And when he reveals that presence in a new way, I want to be responsive to it. And I do feel, as I watch different streams of different, uh, and not streams as in uh, culture streams, as in literal live streams, uh, of um, people in these revival meetings, one of the things I'm so excited about and blessed by is that this is, this is a more faceless revival than i 've seen in in quite a quite a while, and you know we can argue too about whether is, do you call this a revival or an outpouring or this i 'm like i 'm happy to debate that uh, in retrospect once we get there, but for now, this is the language i 've got but um, the I, I love you know it 's funny i i don 't know how you guys are, but i 've been looking, personally I've been looking at the trajectory of modern Christianity in the circles that I've been in for the last 20 years and been terrified. Um, as a kid who grew up in church and grew up in youth group and watched all of my friends kind of slowly disintegrate themselves from their, from their faith, saw the reasons why and saw how most of the response I saw to that be absolutely reinforcing the things that led to those decisions that people made rather than responding to it. I have, in some ways, felt like Whoa, we're just hitting the gas towards this iceberg as fast as we can, aren't we? Um, maybe we can talk that in, in detail maybe another time. But I am, I, I, and I think we can all look at that in some way, and we can look at the trajectory of culture and find something to be terrified of uh, pretty easily if we want to. Um, and we'd probably all be right because there's a lot of problems. But I love that despite whatever strategy or response or plan or trajectory i could make up to try to fix that that the most ready the most effective solution is god's presence showing up and something that i couldn't make that i couldn't generate that i couldn't that i couldn't gin up that i couldn't do anything other than say yes to i i and you know it's funny cuz that's that's really the reality <laughs> Every time, <laughs> that's really the reality. Every time God does something great, it's not as much as we sometimes will take credit for great people who made great decisions. Um, it's that God showed up <laughs> that made all that goodness possible, and and you know any people involved in those kinds of moments would would agree, I'd imagine. But I, I want to take some time here at the end. Again, with these last couple of weeks, we've been leaning in to be responsive to to God's presence. And again, we're not, I want to be careful with our language. I'm not honoring a college or, or a ministry. I'm honoring that I see the father moving across this country in a way. And I want to, as a follower of that father, pay attention to what he's doing and lean in, pay attention to his presence. And I want to encourage you, for those of you who are like me and are have a natural tendency to be offended by a move of God when it first happens, or to be resistant to, to, to God's presence initially, or to other people's idea of what God's presence is, I, I want to honor and respect you, because that is, that is a value for following God rightly, for following his presence rightly, and for not wanting to have, uh, pursue something that's inauthentic. But I also want to invite you not to follow a method or to, or to follow a move that's happening right now, but again, just to lean into the knowledge that God is and always has been and always will be present amongst his people. Does that make sense? So I just want you to close your eyes where you're at. Um, we got Mike up here on the, on the keys to just bring some, bring some of the presence through, through music. You know, one of the most powerful ways to invite the presence of God is to wait. You know, waiting puts all the power in his hands. It's already there anyway, but it's just us acknowledging that reality. It's challenging because we all have pictures of what God's presence looks like. We all have images, idols, honestly, in our mind of this is what it looks like. That is what it looks like. Again, those those memories of having felt or seen or experienced his presence, whether it be through someone teaching his word in a way that just brought life to, to the to the history and 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 reality of God's presence or being in a worship uh, setting or having someone pray for you or having someone pray for you in a gentle, quiet and peaceful way or someone uh, yelling and shouting and just releasing the, the power of God in a vocal and, and, and you know, external sort of way. It's good to honor those memories, but it is dangerous to create idols out of them. Not things that you worship, but images of this is what it looks like when God shows up. So instead, again, I just want to wait. I Just invite his presence to come. thing because, you know, our minds are active things. They're always looking for something to grab onto. And so we'll think about lunch or we'll think about what we have to do tomorrow, what we have to do later today, or bring up something painful that's still hurting or wherever it goes to when we try to make it quiet some. And it's funny because it can feel like all those things steal that opportunity to be in his presence or, you know, make it hard and we can feel tormented like, oh, I just can't, just not be able to get into his presence. And again, I think it's, it's funny because you've never actually left his presence (laughs) and it is only within the confines of our own mind that distraction disconnects us from him. So while it is helpful to kind of eliminate distraction or to try to intent, be intent about doing that, the reality reality is that sometimes even we're incapable of doing that. And so again, just being willing to endure distraction, try to reset our mind as best we can, but recognize that it's still we are not even uh, we are still powerless even just to wait for Him sometimes. sitting here i just want you to do one thing for me as soon as you feel god's presence as soon as you can actively be aware that he is present with you i just want you to stand up right where you are and just just stay where you are at is to quickly compare yourself to the ones, if you're sitting, to the ones who are standing. To maybe even quickly calculate how many people did it sound like we're standing up right now. (laughs) And to, you know, go into a little loop of, okay, I gotta feel his presence faster. (laughs) His presence isn't just an empty, solid state thing that you're either holding or not holding. It's a real relationship. I'm with my wife every day with a few exceptions. I'm with my wife for a, a large portion of the day. So I I am present with her a lot. But there have been seasons where we've gotten busy with the kids, busy with work, busy with whatever, where it's hard to be present with one another, where it's hard to like lean in and step into that state of, I'm present with you, you're present with me. And again, I could beat myself up about that. feel shame about that, but honestly, that's only going to reinforce (laughs) the disconnect. While there's lots of tricks and keys and tools and things that I've found helpful in feeling present with my wife, the most effective thing I've ever found is just being willing (laughs) and waiting. So again, if you feel God's presence, go ahead and stand up. But if you don't yet, I just want you to rest in where you're at because and rest in the knowledge that He is present. When I was preparing for this week, I knew the Lord just wanted to activate something with His presence and one of the clear pictures I got at the beginning of the week was um, members of our prophetic team just moving in and amongst the crowd and prophesying over people. So prophetic team, wherever you are, I just want to go ahead and release you. You know who you are. So whoever the Lord highlights, I just want you to walk up to them and just whisper a prophetic word in their ear. Don't worry, they're they're good at this. They'll say something kind. They'll say something loving. They'll say something good because that's what God is saying. People have said that this is a uh, revival of repentance, and I've, I've felt that to be true. I think for for some of us, we kind of uh, interlock. Uh, repentance and confession we think of repentance as like I'm confessing my sins and that, that can certainly be a part of the, the, the process of repentance but repentance itself is not necessarily confessing what you've done wrong it's, it's the act of having your mind changed by the presence of God and I was thinking one way and now I'm thinking another and i feel that one of the things that god is inviting us into repentance for is idols that we've built up of him images that we've created of what his presence looks like of how he acts of what he does and does not do and again i don't want anyone to feel guilty for having built up a picture of who god is that is that is what we that is what we do that is what we are intended to do we are we are meant to see and understand him a little bit more every day However, as finite beings who are interacting with an infinite God, we will miss important parts of who he is and how he wants to relate to us from time to time. I feel that one of the things the Lord wants to release during the times of his presence in this season is being able to see the things that you need to change about the way you've been living your life or the way you've been believing about yourself and your life without any shame whatsoever. One of the most sneaky tricks the enemy has ever done is, try, is to inject shame into the process of repentance. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons for it. We, we, <laughs> we for whatever reason, tend to be performative beings. So we want to do well and we want to do right. And we want to think well, we want to think right. And we want to think that we think the right way. And so when we experience places where we are not thinking right or not thinking well, it is natural that we would be disappointed. But shame, I would like to suggest, is not a natural response. Shame says, I am bad, I am, I am less than because I was thinking less than. Instead, when true repentance comes into the room, it's not, I was thinking this, I was believing this, so I am less than. It is instead, I am better than what I was thinking. I am too big for that costume that the enemy tried to put on me. In just a second, it's gonna be time to go get your kids for, for some of you. I want you to just hold this moment before you uh get released just because this is I find the key moment in the idols of our mind we can we can ha- we have an image of what God looks like what his presence looks like during worship we have an image of what his presence looks like during a sermon we have an image of what his presence looks like in ministry time but sometimes we might not have an image yet of what it looks like when we're having to go get our kids. We're making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And God, I don't want you to feel shame for that whatsoever, but I want in this season of repentance for you to exercise the opportunity to let him show you what his presence looks like when I transition out of what my image of his presence is. And so if you need to go get your kids, you can do that. For just a minute, I just want everyone just to, again, if you need to go somewhere, you can go somewhere, there's no problem. But I just want to wait here just a little bit longer. The prophetic team is still moving around, just grabbing a few people. One more thing that I just felt really strongly in this season, as I felt the Lord say, If there's questions you've asked him where you've not gotten answers before, it's time to ask him again. There's a maturity that he's building in to the ability for his kids to hear his voice. And I've been involved in the prophetic ministry since I was 12 years old. And having a a humble approach to the way that we hear the voice of God, the way that we are directed by the voice of God, is is essential. However, sometimes in that humility or in painful experiences of our past, we can uh, not be ready to trust that He's telling us to just do something. That He can just direct us. That He can just tell us, yeah, take that job. No, don't take that job. That He can just tell us, yeah, it's time to move here, it's time to move there. And while again, we do need to maintain that humility that we are not taking our own desires and painting them with with God's glory. We also need to recognize that we are the chosen sons and daughters of God, that he picked us. And there is, I believe, a season where he is maturing your ability to hear his voice clearly. Now, for some of you, that will be a repentance of realizing where you've been presumptive about what he's been telling you to do. Presump where you've been doing that act of painting, taking your own desires and you stamping it with his approval. But for others, it will be him challenging you to say, you can hear me, you can hear what I have to say about this. Last thing I'm gonna say is, I feel like one of the big adjustments that is going to open up your ability to hear his voice much more, is that God does want to talk to you about what to do, but he most often wants to talk about who you are first. He is more interested in the stewardship of your heart than he is in what you do or don't do while you're here on earth. Don't get me wrong. It matters what you do or don't do here on earth. It matters a lot to him. However, what matters much more to him is the stewardship of your heart. And there is a grace in this season to adjust your mindset from what should I do to who are you calling me to be? As they're still prophesying, so that is the, I know I already said last thing, but I'm doing that preacher thing. Uh, One more last thing. If you have felt a kind of limiter on your ability to hear God's voice, I'd just love for you to uh, stand up real quick. If you're already standing, just stay standing and you can receive it as well. But if you have felt a limit or a hitch or a kind of sticking point or whatever else, I just want you to stand up because I just wanna pray a blessing over you right now because there's, I don't think it's just in this moment. I think in this season, I've felt it for a while now. There's this season of getting over those humps, getting past those blocks, him cleaning out those, those pipes. And so if you need to receive this, just put your hands out in a, in a receiving gesture. And Lord, we just release the wind of your spirit to blow through your instrument, Lord, to blow through your image bearer, Lord. And we just release the truth that you've said, my sheep hear my voice that every single person in this room is fundamentally designed to hear God's voice, fundamentally designed to hear his presence. They're designed to hear you when it's quiet, when it's loud, they're designed to hear you when they're busy and when they're at peace. They're designed to hear you in crisis. They're designed to hear you in moments of rest. We just say that no external limiter is greater than the voice of God in their life. you have built them to navigate their own life and navigate it well. And I just release the truth to discern the moments of life when you are directing them and the moments of life where you are stewarding and growing their heart and letting them direct themselves. that they'd be able to recognize the difference between those moments and seasons in their life. And I just release breakthrough to anyone who has felt stuck or has believed that they cannot hear God's voice. And I just say that you will hear his voice even this very day. You'll hear his still small voice in your heart. And while you may question it, while you may wonder if that was actually him, he will make himself evident to you again and again and again. Again, if you're a skeptical person, he made you that way and he knows how to meet you where you are. Doesn't mean there an effort. Doesn't mean you have to take, you don't have to take steps of faith, but he will lead you towards those. So I just release that on every single person who needs that today. Mm-hmm. Jesus name. Amen. All right. Okay, I'm going to step off the stage, but if you feel like there's something that you're waiting for, I want you to keep waiting for a while. And even if the room gets a bit louder or people keep talking, that's that's okay. But if there's something that the Lord's going to want you to wait for, I just want you to sit in here for a minute and wait for it. And it might come loud and it might come quiet, but either way, I just feel like the Lord's unlocking some things today.